the Apostle Paul's anticipation of the death being swallowed up in life and the issues of the, of the body and seeing Christ face to face and then the judgment going from the, those thoughts over to the we shall all must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad where uh, we seem to, to just sort of go without a rational uh, course of reasoning from one thought to the other. But I wanted us to see how it connects, to see how that the development is a, well, a, a very important development. But in order to do that, let's go back and, and think of some things that the Apostle Paul had said a little earlier, um, eternity must be considered if we're as Christians. It's got to be considered in the same setting, in the same thought framework as our life here, our material life. The commitment that we make to Christ and the cost of that commitment, the challenge of it, makes no sense and we have no real motivation to say, yeah, let's, let's do that. Except in light of the face of Christ, our, our awareness of him, seeing him as he really is, and seeing ourselves not only as people who will experience this material life, but the spiritual life, the, inter the eternal life, the, the eternal aspects of our being. And if we try to make the decisions without the consideration and without the perspective and, and without having them close together and intermingled in our thoughts and our thinking, then there's no rational reason to be ready to make the sacrifice necessary to live for Christ in this, this lowly place because it's a terrible challenge to our physical, our physical being. It really is. And um, there's two reasons we ought to make it in general, just summarizing. Uh, one of them is because we thrive in the sense of fulfillment on something worthwhile, a cause that's really worthwhile and meaningful. There's a tremendous sense of fulfillment in that. And also, God compensates us by coming and abiding with us, renewing us day by day. And strengthening us for the task at hand. Puts us on a higher level of purpose. And fulfillment. Satisfaction. And in a relationship with Christ. That's even now. And very precious. And very close. Even though we don't see him face to face. Now. But he has provided us with the resources. To be a, have the great sense of his reality. He says he'll manifest himself to us when we make that commitment. Manifesting simply means he gives us a sense of his closeness, his being, his reality. In fellowship, he gives us all those assets and resources of peace and strength and so on. But that's one of the considerations that we have to make that is spiritual. 
that interacts with our physical and reinforces us to handle the pressures that's going to put on our lives. So the great sense of purpose and also that the consequences of how we live on this in in, in this time of our existence is going to have a great impact on the experience we have in the greater realm of eternity. The consequences of it are long-lasting and, and very significant. In other words, we're not doing what we're doing, suffering what we're suffering, um, giving up the things we have to give up and, and endure on this side of eternity. Uh, we're not, that's not just happening. We're also um, gaining a great deal for God, even though he will take an account of the judgment seat of Christ, is going to be a place where he's going to evaluate us according to the deeds as, 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 that we've done. Our salvation is not at stake. And he makes that very plain in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He makes it very plain that that judgment seat of Christ, the time that we're judged as Christians, is not going to be a time when we're judged to see if we're lost or saved. And there's two ways of looking at that judgment seat. One way is to look at it with dread or uh, in the consequences of our failures. But on the other hand, there's another aspect of it that's very important, extremely important. And that is what we've done for Christ, he's not going to forget. He takes note of it. And it has implications in our positions and our possessions and our nearness and closeness to him and our ability to be able to sort of manifest back to him how much we love and appreciated him for his mercy, his grace, giving us the status and the privileges and the resources for living a meaningful life on this side, a meaningful and much more fulfilling life on this side. Uh, Often I have equated the idea in order for us to get the picture a little bit with the life of a man who makes a decision to be a a great athlete. He's going to he's going to give up a lot of comforts. <laughs> He's going to give up, uh, uh, give into in and, and become uh, susceptible to an awful lot of knocks, is he not? And disciplines and all the things that are necessary to achieve that goal. And would he rather sit it out? Well, the answer is no, because the, the fulfillments that he gains in, in his endeavors in that way brings great satisfaction and great fulfillments. And though it it doesn't in any way approach that which comes when we have faithfully served Christ and suffered for his name's sake, nonetheless, I think it's it's a good example for many of us that are here in, in our understanding of how something that requires much is worth the effort. And so, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. (laughs) It's going to be worth it all. And uh, we'll wish wish we had done more for him. (laughs) And uh, not because we regret and have such sorrow, but because we wish that we could have given him more honor and glory. Because we're we're wanting to look at him in in that day and say, oh man, I want to give all, I want to... Uh, see him lifted up and exalted before us all here as a result of our 
love and honor and, and respect for him that we that we gave him. So the context here, the smaller context, I, I don't know how you use the word, the, the phrase content and context, but to me, context is a smaller portion that is contained in a larger con, content. And uh, content then means, that's how I mean it. I say we look at context in the smaller portion of, of a text or a, uh, or a portion and con and but it's always good to have the content in in uh, in our grasp because in fact going all the way back from Genesis if we can see how that connects with the revelation and, and everything connects through and through and that's been the amazing thing in my study of the Bible how remarkable it is that it's not just one it, things appear just sitting out here somewhere um, there's passages that just seem to jump out of the scripture out of its context. And uh, but it it takes the content to make it uh, real meaningful to us. But why the Lord places things like that in there is, I think, is to stimulate us to try to blend it in, <laughs> try to make it more meaningful. You, you remember the sermons that I preached on the axe head that swam <laughs> now that was a case where it just seemed to be tossed in that uh, dialogue sort of uh, helter skelter and and didn't uh, it didn't fit into the general dialogue that was going on in that in that passage in that book of, of the prophets there one of the prophetical books well what I wanted to do then was take a little content and then review again. Uh, what I've done thus far is, is just uh, uh, kind of relate to you how this passage called, that we've been studying in, in the Second Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, beginning in, in verse 1 and going down through where we got, we got down to we walk by faith and not by sight. But... Uh, it, it was dealing with the idea of suddenly he's talking about the resurrection, being clothed and not being clothed. And, um, and then the going over. But when you read these things, does it not, especially in Paul's writings, does it not cause you to, to have to really search the scriptures, to really ponder it and, and, uh, and go out of that and deal with the whole issue of the resurrection and so forth because he doesn't that's he doesn't use the word resurrection there does he as you go down through this uh in these first few verses he talks about if we know if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved we have a building of god a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens now that's cryptic cryptic uh is it not without content uh <laughs> A tabernacle, a body. It, the, is that what he's really talking about, a body? We have to evaluate it, our body. Well, as you go through, you have to come to the conclusion, yeah, he was talking about our body. And, uh, but you have to go all through all of these passages here to discover that. And then uh, you're, you have to go back and you have to t think about the resurrection. You have to think about, you have to think about the passage in, in uh, 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he says, well, well, what manner of body is it going to be? What's this thing all about? And what are the principles of the resurrection? And, and uh, uh, things start coming to your mind and you're putting a picture together. You have a con- putting a content together for a passage like this. So it forces you to broaden out and do a lot of studying, does it not? The way he writes is difficult uh, many times, uh, particularly in these, in, in these uh, passages here, passages like this. So uh, let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about, and talk about um, first, uh, second Corinthians and, uh, well, let's, let's just uh, look at the idea of the difficulty of the Christian life. Because, again, what, what is my premise now? My premise is you can only put this together, one thing to the other, the resurrection and the judgment seat of Christ. How, the, how do they fit in the same dialogue here as, as the Apostle Paul is expressing it? And it has to do with what I said a moment ago. It makes no sense to serve Christ and to go through the suffering and the difficulties that he's asking of these people and warning them throughout the scriptures that, and, uh, of us as Christians, even in the Old Testament, they, and uh, it, it starts and is most uh, succinctly stated. That is, if you want a, a, just a verse expressing the issues that we're dealing with uh, and the hardships of the Christian life, and therefore the irrationality outside of blending the eternal with the, mm, the present. Uh, if you don't blend those, then there's no rationale for us suffering for the name of Christ. It's sort of like the Apostle Paul said, if there's no resurrection, we're not, if it's not in the picture, then we're of all what? People most miserable. <laughs> we don't have a concept of the great purpose and of the significance of what it's all, until you put it all together, of us being willing to go through that. So let's look over here in 2 Timothy 3.12. Here's what it says. It says, all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. All that will live godly shall suffer persecution. The writers of the New Testament, when they're giving us a call to labor, they're telling us, a call to commit to Christ, they're telling us, you're going to suffer. It's a call to suffer in the material life. And uh, that's just just the reality of it. Then he says, there will be hardships. And the Apostle Paul wrote hardships, wrote of hardships. He started right there in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 there, verse 23 and 33, I believe. I believe that that's where he was. Did I get that correct? Well, well, here it is right here. Yeah, it's, it's chapter four. I'm sorry. It's chapter four. I failed to write down the chapter when I was writing my notes. But that's in the context, context of these passages here. And he expressed to them, we are troubled. Yeah, well, let, let, me, let me tell you what. Let's start back in verse seven. He talked about something in verse one through seven and one through six. I'm sorry. And he said that we have something. We have this treasure in verse 7. 
We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is the treasure that you think he's talking about? We've got something most precious in this earthen vessel. Now, what's he mean by the earthen vessel? The body, this physical body. We've got something in this body that's been delegated to us. And what is it? Well, what? No, I don't know what he's talking about. Here's what he's talking about. Let's go and look at the context. He, he says, but our gospel, he says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have a ministry, uh, a duty, a, a privilege, a responsibility, a ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not because of what God's done for us and because of the implications of his grace and all the issues involved in it, we faint not. Faint not means we don't give in, we don't give up, and we don't give away. We stay the course. And uh, because we have a great cause, a great cause, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully by the manif manifestation of the of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience on the side of God. In other words, we, we exposed ourselves in reality to who we are. We didn't come pretentiously. Why did he say that? Because he was in conflict with people who are trying to woo and, and uh, discredit him with the Corinthians in order to take over leadership and influence among those people. And he says, as far as, as, far as I'm concerned, we, we haven't come to you in any way to trick you or to manipulate you. We've come, we manifest ourselves before you openly and honestly before God in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. There is a, there is a difficulty of some people just having and valuing the gospel. And there are people that were guiding them that seem to have the gospel seemed to be hidden to them. They were pre presenting something that was Jewish in tradition and background and trying to put them under the law again. So that what they were doing, they were doing because they had to uh, in the doctrine and, and in the teachings in order to be saved and, and, and uh, or for whatever purpose. But Paul said, we've been set at liberty and I, and I, and I, Bring you a brought you a doctrine that set you at liberty and allowed you to be guided by the Spirit of God. You're doing it because you want to. <laughs> You're doing it because God is, is uh, giving you the, the urges to do so. You're doing it because you want to give in to God um, and do it because of a desire to do it for no other reason. And, and he gave the reason because of the grace of God and the, and the blessings and all that he's done for us. And so for if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And I think he's accusing their leaders, the ones that are mm, troubling them and uh, messing them all up. He's accusing them of actually being lost themselves because they're not bringing the gospel of grace to them. That was one of the problems that they had. And that's one of the problems Paul had everywhere he went. He was followed up by Jewish people who strive to take the, the religiosity and the, and the desire of people to be godly 
as a result of their meeting with Christ and the ministry of those who brought them the gospel. And then, then persons came along and put them under, under the law. And, and so the gospel was hidden to them. And, God, and, and uh, it says, To whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what is the topic here? The precious, something very glorious and marvelous, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ um, should shine unto them. So the shining gospel of the glorious gospel, uh, that is a shining glorious gospel of Christ, that shines out of them is the precious, is the precious subject matter here, subject for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and yourselves, yourselves, your servants, or that is ourselves, your servants for Christ's sake. In other words, I, these other people really came to bring these people into bondage to them. As he spoke a little later on, he spoke to, about individuals slapping them around and, and uh, taking lordship over them and so forth. And, uh, you know, Catholic priests do that sort of thing. And in the inquisitions, you didn't want a priest to take a look at you. You wanted to be hidden from them. You wanted to be often obscure because they had the power to point at you and, and, and you didn't know the consequences of it. And for hundreds of years, people feared them if, because you could not only be removed from your salvation and your very soul be damned by their action and their attitude, but you could... Um, be burned and tortured and tormented. And apparently they had some abuses in those ways with these people who came in and found them religious and, and determined to want to please God. And they misguided them as to what was pleasing to God and brought them into bondage then. And the, but Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord and yourself and ourselves, your servants. That's who a pastor is. He's your servant. <laughs> he's, he's your servant who provides leadership. And the only way he can, he can provide that is for you to submit to that because of your love of Christ and his word. Not because of my, just, my deserving of that by any means. I, I must see myself as your servant to provide teaching and the leadership. That is legitimate, but it is not the Lord over your life. I have no power over your salvation <laughs> or anything like that. And for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, or as, as it is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, in, by what we have seen of him and through the word of God and what we, when you look at somebody's face, you see, oh, that's, oh, that's Rachel. And you really see who she is. And then when we see who Christ really is, and we have that revelation within us, not only by faith, God has shown us the reality of who he is. And so we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? Well, it's the, um, the, the divine light of the glorious gospel of Christ in this vessel. The gospel 
which is, it's not just a thing, it's a divine light. It's a manifestation uh, of, of, that brings the, the, the presence and the power of God into the lives of people to be saved. And then we walk with this. I've said to you before, you don't, we don't, most of us do not, and I don't really fully and ultimately grasp, I'm certain, the power that is in us in the gospel that we hold and the power that God projects by the Holy Spirit through our lives. It is so strong. The impact is so strong upon a culture if we just go out and shine. Let your little light shine. And, and, and present open-faced our, ourselves, our own lives, being clear and distinct and not deceptive in any way. But just, I, I was blessed today. I got called by a guy that I talked with over there at, at McDonald's and um, at the mall some time back. He called me today. He said, I've just been moved to call you and talk to you for some time. But it, he said, I, I just had to call you today. So he talked to me. And he made the statement. He says, he said, I could tell that you were sincere and earnest and honest. <laughs> he said, I didn't even know you were a minister. <laughs> Until I started, we started parting our ways. And you said, here, give me, let me give you this card. So you have my phone number and you can call me. And then he saw that I was a minister. But. The first thing he knew, he said, was that I was sincere and earnest and cared about him and all of that. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that, that's a great compliment. That's the greatest compliment, I think, in our lives. So, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that uh, the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So we're exer- walking and exercising in the power of God uh, uh, unto salvation. That power I've been talking about in Sunday mornings, uh, in the mornings, saying that there's a lot of power of God that has to come to play for people just to reach a point where they can trust the Lord. It's a, our ability to trust the Lord is based upon supernatural power and provisions of faith and of repentance that He grants us so that we can, in the right frame of mind, with the right motivation, ask him to be our Lord and Savior. We don't have to sit down and, and try to evaluate how serious we were and how much we were uh, bending to the Lordship of Christ because he put that in us. It was him that did that. We came with the right motivation, but we came balanced out by the motivation of our flesh. And so we had to make a true decision when we did and put our trust in Christ, then God could receive our, our cry that belief is. Belief is the cry that I have nothing to offer you, Lord. I'm un- totally unworthy. I have to totally depend on who you are and what you've done. And I call upon you to give me this gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of my sins. And when we do that by faith, in repentance, which he gives us both, <laughs> then it's done. And, and we realize it because we have peace, peace about it and assurance about it. And the only way we can ever uh, sustain that in our life is to sustain that uh, 
sense of God cannot lie. And he cannot fail. And that one day we ask him. And he gave us peace. But you know the best way to secure peace is, is not to. I trusted him back yonder. It's I'm trusting him right now. <laughs> I'm resting in him today. Moment by moment. Day by day. And if I ever reach a point where that's not the case. I don't have assurance. Because I'm out of touch with the. Uh, one who secures our assurance. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if a young man or woman or old man or old woman or anybody anywhere says, I know I'm a Christian and they're living like the devil, I know they're a, they do not have assurance. If they go back to a profession of faith that they made 200 years ago and say, well, I know I'm saved because I asked Jesus Christ to save me. A lot of people are not saved who asked Jesus Christ to save them. Hmm? But people have asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. But the assurance they have is given to us by the Spirit of God. And if we're grieving the Spirit of God, we don't have that assurance. And neither will they have the assurance, no matter what they're telling you. Hmm? Because the Spirit of God is just not going <laughs> to give them that assurance. You have to have fellowship with the Spirit of God. Well, <clears throat> it, it doesn't immediately fall away because... The Bible teaches us the Lord chastens every son. And I got some assurance about being one of the sons of the Lord because of his chastening to me. That's one of the times of reinforcement and assurance in my life is because I was disciplined. When we're disciplined, the Spirit of God lets us know we're his child. And he's disciplining us. But the, a person living outside that and not in the process of discipline, they have no assurance. Now, well, our time's gone. Now, um, uh, well, we're down to verse 8 now. And verse 8 was where I want you to keep in mind the, th the platform we're working from. What's the platform we're working from? That we must have the, the concepts, we must have the perspectives of Time and eternity blended together to have a right perspective as to why we're willing to suffer for Christ's sake. And right now we're talking about the fact we will suffer for Christ's sake if we are diligent and faithful to serve the Lord. All that will live godly shall, shall suffer persecution. We're not suffering persecution. In opposition, persecution there, that word means pursuit. They'll pursue you. They'll run, they'll, they'll chase you. They're not just going to stand off somewhere and look at you. Like they're going to come after you. They're going to try to destroy you. Discredit you. Persecute. Yep. They're running after you. Coming after you. So, get ready for it. And we'll look, we'll look at that passage of how we are troubled in every side, yet not distressed, etc., etc., but we're sure, and that's both what you can see and what you can't see, operating together, inter interwining, intertwining here. Persecuted, yet not distressed. That's the spiritual intertwined with our physical experience, see? 